0: Hello, and welcome to A Smart Financial Plan, where we interview the best and brightest in financial planning research about their studies and the best practices financial planners can use to enhance the financial lives of their clients. Today, we're interviewing Dr. McCoy of Kansas State University and Dr. White of University of Georgia, who together researched the financial literacy, confidence, and efficacy of student-athletes student athletes represent some of the highest potential future earners in the country but many also practice in sports with far less financial reward despite similar amounts of effort their study examines the confidence of student athletes and finds some takeaways both for your clients who performed on the field and some surprising contrasts for those who haven't so stay tuned for some great and interesting insights from these great researchers Uh, well, thank you, Dr. McCoy and Dr. White, for being here with us today. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, bit about yourselves, your uh, credentials, where you're currently teaching or doing your research? you want me to go first? Then? Sure. Sure.
1: Yeah. So I'm uh, Dr. Mae McCoy. I am actually a licensed marriage and family therapist by training. And while I was getting my PhD at Georgia, they opened what's called the Aspire Clinic where uh, mental health professionals and financial planners could work together with clients. And I was like, oh my gosh, this work is going to help my clients so much, but it's also going to help me. And it made me dive into financial planning. I actually took Capstone first, which was um, baptism by fire, to say the least. But since then, I've really been on a journey of integrating well being as well as counseling like skills into financial planning. So now I work in a financial planning department at Kansas State where I teach um, undergrad, uh, master's, and PhD
0: courses in financial planning. Very nice. Dr. White? My name is Kenneth
2: White. I am an assistant professor in financial planning at University of Georgia. Um, I came here after getting my uh, PhD from the Ohio State University uh, in uh, 2016. And um, at Ohio State, I I studied, I was in their consumer sciences program where I studied uh, family resource management and economics. Um, since I've come to the University of Georgia, I have taught a range of courses in uh, the financial planning program um, at the undergrad and graduate level, but I primarily teach our retirement planning courses and uh, also the income tax planning course in our online master's well.
0: Okay. Very nice. So you both uh, were part of a team that engaged in a research project on student athletes. Uh, Can you tell us uh, what that research was called and sort of what you were uh, trying to learn about?
2: Yeah. So the research uh, was titled Investigating the Financial Overconfidence of Student Athletes. And what we were doing was uh, looking at Student athletes from colleges and universities across the country, and just looking at uh, their actual financial knowledge, how they performed on um, a, a set of financial knowledge questions. And also, we looked at uh, a self assessment of their uh, financial self efficacy or their confidence in uh, their ability to manage their finances. And then we we took that and we looked overall at um, how it affects their financial stress. And we compared these student athletes to uh, the non-student athletes at those colleges and universities.
1: Yeah, you know, I think studying financial athletes, I mean, the financial health of athletes has really um, blown up since ESPN had this great 30 for 30 called Broke, and it kind of highlighted some of the um, difficulties that some athletes face around their finances. Uh, and, you know, what's interesting it's hard to research athletes. They're a population that has some protection. The coaches protect them. <laughs> the schools protect them. And so it was really an exploratory study to get some insight on all fat, financial athletes, <clears throat> I mean, student athletes, not just football players like we tend to think of, but men, male and female athletes. And part of the impetus to doing this was, you know, I'm an athlete uh, in my former life before I got old. (laughs) But, you know, there were so many great things about being on a team that made uh, my well-being better and made me a better student because I had to manage my time better. But there was a reality of me having to get up hours before school started and practice and practice after school. And so there's this balancing act where we knew that Student athletes had some great things that developed from being on a team. For instance, I went to Chapel Hill for undergrad and we had tutors set up and the coaches would come and check to make sure attendance. But there also is a reality of a lot of time lost for student athletes. And so we just wanted to understand that population a little better.
0: Sure, and and I think you kind of called out the the thing that immediately jumps to mind, right? We we sort of have this uh, cultural understanding that some people in certain athletic endeavors are going to go on and have potentially multi-million dollar careers. Uh, if, they're, if they're successful and in the right field. But, you know, student athletics is obviously an, an enormous space. I mean, you, you don't hear the same stories about shot putters, for example. But ultimately, there's, uh, you know, all the student athletes are putting in a huge amount of time and energy and effort to you know, master their craft, as it were. Um, so, so, you know, again, I, I think of the, the sort of example you brought up of the football player. But what, what really made you want to do this research uh, on a broader subject set?
1: Yeah, so you kind of highlighted one of the reasons. So me and Dr. White are fascinated with the idea of self-efficacy. And self-efficacy is kind of like confidence, but it's domain specific, meaning that you can be super confident around your finances like most of your listeners, but feel super incompetent about home repair or something. So self-efficacy kind of encapsulates the domain specific So we're looking at financial self-efficacy. One other special thing about self-efficacy is that along with the confidence to be able to do it well, it's also this approach to problems that it really, it really is the key, I think, to successful life. So if we're, let's talk about technology self-efficacy, because we're on Zoom right now. If I had low technology self-efficacy and Zoom started acting up, then I'd be like, oh gosh, it's over. I'm never seeing Daniel and Ken again, like goodbye forever. But if I had high enough technology self-efficacy, I would approach a problem and say, let me turn it off and on again because that always fixes everything <laughs> or let me Google how to fix this. And that's financial self-efficacy. There's some preliminary research that financial, I meant self-efficacy, even though it's domain specific, may kind of like snowball into other areas of your life. And so like you said, athletes are focused on a masters of their craft, a lot of times on campus, they're elevated to this special status. And so this idea of that, is this self-efficacy or this confidence kind of snowballing into other aspects of their life that maybe isn't as warranted. So just because you're amazing at getting holes in one on the golf course, does that translate into being amazing around finances? Sure. Um, and,
2: and that's one of the things that, um, That we found in this paper is that um, overall, our student athlete population was uh, had less financial knowledge than the non-student athlete population, but their uh, financial self-efficacy was uh, a lot more, a lot higher than the uh, non-student athlete population, and so it. It looks like it may be actually bleeding over into uh, into their financial life.
0: There's just uh, that clear demonstration of uh, essentially essentially overconfidence, right? No. So, oh, so oh, go ahead.
1: I was going to say overconfidence has been looked at preliminary in the financial world around stock stock picking, um, but it hasn't really been looked at in other domains of financial behaviors. Um, and so I'm excited that this research might spur on more research and how that works.
0: So that raises the question, um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, athletes are sort of protected from research in a lot of ways, but was there any prior research in this area, or was there something uh, that maybe was already answered that now you're sort of trying to fill in the blanks on?
2: Yeah, it's not a lot of uh, information or research that have been done about Student athletes and um, and their personal financial lives. Uh, it just wasn't out. It just wasn't a lot of information out there, and that's why this was more of a, an exploratory project, so that we can start looking at uh, what was going on with the financial well-being of our student athletes.
1: Okay. One, that, oh, sorry. I was going to say the one area of research that is pretty well fleshed out is about grades and retention of student athletes, um, you know, at the ACC especially, but a lot of the conferences have GPA requirements for their athletes, and I think that allowed for research to happen there because the coaches could say this will clearly benefit my player, um, but I know of several researchers who have an amazing research track record that have tried to enter into this population and we're not able to successfully start studies off.
0: Interesting. So just going into this study, what hypotheses did you kind of have at the outset?
1: Yeah. So our main hypotheses were that first of all, that we thought that student athletes would have lower financial knowledge and we thought this because um, uh, the whole thing we talked about earlier where their time distribution is different than the general population. So they would have a little less time to devote to um, their academics. The second reason we hypothesize that is that other research has shown that student athletes overall have lower GPAs than um, the general population. Our, our second hypothesis was going to be that student athletes will have higher rates of self-efficacy And that was based on the preliminary research that self-efficacy, even though it's domain-specific, does tend to bleed over into other areas. And we thought that because they would have higher rates of self-efficacy, our third hypothesis was that that higher rate of self-efficacy would provide a protective buffer against financial distress, despite any levels of financial knowledge.
0: Interesting. So, you know, you've mentioned already that many researchers have tried and failed to to work with this population. So how did you how did you succeed where others had challenges?
2: I think one of the main challenges is just having data uh, available to study the population. So um, fortunately, there was um, some data collected out of Ohio State University The student, uh, the study on collegiate financial wellness that actually had uh, a question about whether or not you are a varsity uh, athlete at your school. And so we were able to identify uh, 580 respondents in this data set that. That said that they were student athletes at their university. So that provided the data that we needed to to even look at this population.
1: Yeah, I think what separated us too is that we didn't limit it to just male athletes. We didn't limit it to the big three sports, you know, football, basketball, and baseball. That we really were looking at the relationship again between a mastery in one area, whether it's golf or tennis or rowing or basketball and seen if that related to um, uh, confidence levels in other domains.
0: Gotcha. So, uh, Dr. White, I think you mentioned a little bit about the findings as far as, the, you know, lower or higher uh, self-perceived efficacy, but lower actual efficacy in, in this population. But what, I guess, what were your findings or how did that develop overall?
2: So our findings overall was, uh, one, that uh, our student athlete population had uh, an overall lower um, score on their financial knowledge uh, scale. Um, but they also had uh, higher rates of financial self-efficacy, um, especially as uh, as their financial knowledge increased. Uh, their scores it increased a lot, whereas the general population of students weren't as uh, weren't as um, confident in their ability, even as their scores increased in on their financial knowledge. And so, one of the things that uh, that happened is that we looked at um, the idea of student athletes and their preparation and how they pre- practice and prepare really makes them confident for the games. And we were uh, just come to the conclusion that 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 probably is bleeding over into their financial lives. Also, um, one other finding is that um, even after we controlled for or took into account uh, whether or not they had a scholarship, uh, our student athletes were still they were still having or reporting less financial stress than the. Uh, the general population of students. So overall they uh, were more confident and less stressed than the general population of, of uh, students at these schools.
0: Sure, and and I, I I feel like that's almost natural for somebody who's used to performing under pressure, right? When you're when you're competing or playing uh, sports, perhaps even, and maybe you didn't get to this level, but I would assume more aggressive sports would be more prone to, to good stress management. Um, You know, that sort of makes sense that in the same way that you're looking at domain mastery bleeding into other areas that that same sort of stress inoculation might uh, might come over as well. So were were there any surprising findings in here or things that just totally went outside of your expectations in the research.
1: I think this was one of the rare studies, at least I've been a part of where our hypotheses really did line up with the results <laughs> very um, directly. A lot of times when I'm doing research, I actually look forward to hypotheses failing because it has implications that what we think is true is not true. Like Freakonomics and Nurture Shock are my two favorite books I've ever read, and both talk about how there's so many things that we take for granted as fact that are not true at all. And so I like it when the hypotheses aren't supported. But I think in this study, our our results were very straightforward. I think broadening it away from athletes, what I think is fascinating is that it would give financial planners insight on some of their clients' behaviors, that potentially you have clients that might be overly or underly confident, and that's going to impact how they receive the financial literacy that you're trying to give them. And I think that's an important takeaway. Um, that I don't think we were really planning to have as much of a generalized takeaway as that, but I think it provides insight.
2: I think you bring up, a. I think uh, Dr. McCoy brings up a, a great point when she mentioned underconfidence because that was one of our conclusions for the uh, population of non-student athletes that uh, although our student athletes may have been overconfident, our- Population of non-student athletes may actually be a little under confident in their ability to manage their um, to manage their finances. Hmm.
0: So you know, you, you mentioned earlier, Dr. McCoy, that this this might be kind of the first piece of research that that then leads into many others. So what do you think is the natural progression of this research? Where does it go from here?
1: Yeah. So I I am uh, writing a grant right now with Dr. White about how um, how financial literacy programs don't have great outcomes. So uh, we have millions of financial literacy programs in the United States, some for elementary school, some for college, some for professionals. And there's not a ton of research, but the research out there is mixed. And why is it mixed? Why, when we teach somebody what they should do with money, there's this gap between them knowing what they should do and doing actual things that they're supposed to do. And I really think that, Financial self-efficacy is it. I think this, you know, Klantz, Kaler, and Klantz in their book, Facilitating Financial Health, which is one of my favorite books of all time, talks about this interior side of money, which is your values, your attitudes, beliefs around money. And I think building on this research to other ways of, of exploring the interior side of money, side of money, so that financial planners can understand when their clients aren't doing what they're supposed to do and why and how to intervene more appropriately.
0: Sure. What do you think, Dr. White?
1: Oh, um,
2: I think that um, one of the things that we need is clearly more data in terms of this population. And so if we can uh, encourage uh, more data collection around our um, student athlete population. I think that, that would go far in terms of us uh, really doing future research um, on this population.
0: Sure. So I'm, I'm both a student of financial planning and a financial planning practitioner. You know, with, with your research, what have we learned that I could apply to my practice or use to help my clients today?
1: Yeah, I think this applies for financial planners and financial educators that what we found is that their confidence, their self-efficacy, it's going to be more important than their literacy. So what are you doing with your clients to make them feel more able, more capable to approach problems, to approach situations, to just deal with their finances head on? I teach um, intro to financial planning in my, at K-State. And I'm, I should just let the course sit and just teach the same course every year so that I have less work. But every year I want to mess with it more because what part of this is saying is that we need to give people more self-efficacy. How do we give people more self-efficacy is that part of it is learning, part of it is modeling, part of it is the visceral experience of doing the actual behavior, And so with financial planners it's a little bit easier to get adults to do the financial behavior. With college students, how am I setting up my class to give them opportunities to experientially practice what we're teaching them in class? Um, I think that's at least what I took away from this and why I keep on redoing my 105 class every year.
0: (laughs) Sure. So I'm, I, I'm curious there, because I know when I talk to a lot of clients, we'll ask them hypotheticals, hey, the market drops 20%. What would you do in that situation? And a ton of them will just say, well, I'd just ask you. So how do you think we address those clients who are sort of looking at us as a source to offload their financial responsibility?
1: I can tell you, so when I uh, started financial planning courses and everything, all this magical thinking about financial planning came up in me, these like biases I held, and one of them is that when I made referrals prior to these courses for a client, one of my mental health clients, to go see a financial planner, I would say things like, go see this planner he'll fix everything for you or she'll tell you how to approach this problem i had this magical thinking and i think what you're saying is that my magical thinking is is clear in a lot of our clients and what's harder is us as helping professionals feed into it because we want to be value added we want to be the magicians fixing things for our clients So I think the first step is making sure you as a practitioner don't buy into the cycle, don't contribute to the cycle, wanting to be the savior for your clients. And then I think the second is you can kind of highlight some of the initial research that shows I can tell you everything to do. But if you're not bought in, if you don't believe in this uh, advice or you don't own your own finances it's going to be like a water on a duck. Like you're just not going to really buy in. Uh, Like another example, I have a lot of couples that I've worked with where one person was a bookkeeper for the family. And they're like, it works for me. Like, uh, you know, they give me an allowance and then I spend within that allowance. And I say to those couples every time, like, what if both you guys had financial goals that you were both equally bought into? Would your spending behaviors change if you actually had a financial goal and weren't just regulated to your partner's financial goals and the same thing with clients like the more you buy in the more you own your finances the better off you'll be
0: that's really interesting what do you I, think, I, i'm sorry go ahead i was about to ask what do, you, what do you think dr white
2: so there's there's been some research that says that um, that more financially literate clients um, actually do buy in more to um, financial advice and financial planners. And so uh, it it almost becomes more of a partnership when uh, when you're dealing with the more financially literate clientele versus just um, having to tell a client what to do or that client expecting you to tell them what to do. And so when you ask, um, as planners, the more you are able to educate your clients and the more you are able to um, uh, do things that will kind of increase their their financial self-efficacy and their confidence and their ability to um, know when they need to seek out assistance from financial planners. Feel confident in making decisions with the financial plan, uh, then you do get more implementation from those clients, and implementation is is really what you want if you're a financial planner. You don't just want to, um, you know, put up, make this great plan and put it out there and never get the client to implement it. And so, when you talk about implementation, when you're dealing with the more financially literate clientele, which Involves both the knowledge piece and the self-efficacy piece. Um, I think you'll get you know, you'll get better results as a planner with your
0: Certainly, and and just specific to your the, the the research here itself. What do you think planners should be doing, uh, maybe as they deal with a, a an athlete who's maybe a student athlete transitioning into professional or who's going semi-professional? Are there any specific tactics or or things we should be thinking about with special consideration to them?
1: Yeah, mental accounting is number one. So uh, we should treat every dollar the same, but we don't. And one of the things about uh, the pay of college athletes is that it feels like windfalls. And so windfalls are when mental accounting is the worst. And so I think uh, even though we didn't write about this in this paper, if you are working with a professional athlete rather than a student athlete, uh, I think that's a big takeaway.
0: Sure. And is there anything knowing, knowing and, and I think you've addressed it somewhat with tra- trying to sort of empower our clients with greater knowledge and efficacy, but is there anything we should be thinking about with those non-student athletes who are showing that financial underconfidence that we haven't already covered?
1: I love catching clients doing well. You know, what, what is hardest with co- uh, clients who have low self-efficacy is that it's contagious. So they are coming in saying, I don't know anything, save me, save me. And then you buy into that, they don't know anything. And you know, there's no magic, there's no magic wand with handling your finances well. And so there's always something you could do to catch them being literate, catch them doing something right, catch them in, in the magical thinking you described earlier that I don't want, I don't know this stuff, there's, I don't understand the jargon saying, let's break it down, let's, let's look at NerdWallet or all those websites that really simplify some of the complicated finances and really find a way to, for you to understand all these concepts, because there's no magic behind it.
0: Very true. Well,
1: I didn't mean to be advertising nerdwall. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, this podcast brought to us by uh, all, the, all the random sources of information on the internet. Uh, the internet, everything's true. Uh, Doctor White, uh, what do you think?
2: I think uh, I need to think of a of a company that I can shout out
0: to.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> think nerdwall going to send me swag now.
0: <laughs> you never know. You never know. You, you both are uh, doctors who do research. So I, I think you meet their criteria for nerds. <laughs> Well, uh, I do want to say, uh, Dr. White, Dr. McCoy, thank you both for uh, coming on today and, and sharing about your research uh, with us. I know, I know this is an area of interest, both for planners, uh, thinking in terms of their, their existing clients or their you know, their hopeful future clients. I don't know a lot of planners who'd turn away professional athletes. Uh, so I, I think it's an area of interest for everybody. But also, uh, I think there's some really valuable takeaways, both on, on that athlete side as well as on the non-athlete side here today. So thank you both. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having us.